And we are live back with another episode of Shifting the Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. Oh, and Ryan's here too. <laughs> Glad you're here, Ryan. <laughs> hey, Torin. Oh, my goodness. All right. I'm excited about the topic today. I have a lot to say. I know we all have a lot to say. Um, I think this is going to be a really good discussion. You want to, you want to, uh, sort of pull the trigger on the topic oh bad choice words today's climate um you know okay so i'm gonna say this and i know that we're recording and you can opt to edit or not i don't edit anything so i'm going to say say i'm going to but i never do as soon as that came out of my mouth i thought oh and then i thought you know what like i remember like playing games when i was a kid right with like toy bb guns and my BB gun and playing the whatever ranger, the guy on the horse. So for me, it's, it's, it's not something that is a conscious, like, oh my gosh, it's a horrible thing. Cause I'm not an anti-gun person. I just clearly don't think that we need to make some changes for sure. But um, it's funny that you said that. Cause as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, can we say that now? And I'm like, God, there's so many things that we can and cannot say that I've said my entire life that now we can't say. All right. So speaking of can and cannot say or do, what's our topic, Torin? Today, I want to talk about medication, in particular, uh, meth analogs and psychoactive meds. That sounds like big words. Basically, stuff they give to people with ADD, like stimulants and like antipsychotics Mm -hmm. and antidepressants, which are uh, SSRI, which is a different category. For this this disclaimer, for this episode, none of the scientific terminology is probably going to be correct. Um, I'm not, a, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a doctor. Don't take any of our advice. None of us are certified in that stuff. There's just our jackass opinions, but in this day and age, jackass opinions seem to be worth more than professional opinions. So who are we not try to cash out on that? A big issue I've noticed is everyone in the autism community and the autistic community talks about ABA, which should be talked about because it's conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. And we've discussed this already on the podcast, I believe. Yes. But what a lot of people don't talk about is psychoactive drugs. Mm-hmm. You see, a lot of, ABA often isn't covered by insurance. It's starting to become more, it's starting to become covered by Medicaid in a lot of states. I know Texas and New York just approved it, which is bad. But oh. it, it, there's a barrier of entry for, for, for ABA still. What there isn't a barrier of entry is, is medication because the pharmaceutical industry makes it very easy. Most, most insurance, including Medicaid, covers meds like Wellbutrin, which is antipsychotic, or Effexa, which is antipsychotic. Wellbutrin, uh, uh, which is antidepressant, Effexa, antidepressant. Seroquel, it's an antipsychotic, for example. Those are common ones. Geodon, that's mood stabilizer. That's another common one. Adderall, that's a stimulant. That's a very common one. Insurance generally covers these, so mm-hmm. they're very easy to obtain. You just gotta go with psychiatrists, and psychiatrists are trained are trained to just push pills. They're, I, I hate to say it, but they're pill pushers essentially. Mm-hmm. And well, I have a, a story lot, to share about Adderall when we get around to it. And a lot of parents, uh, and I'm definitely, and we're gonna get to that. And, and a lot of parents will essentially just force their kids to take medication to deal with things like meltdowns and executive functioning issues, as opposed to you know like doing their job as parents. Obviously, I'm very biased. I've had this done to me, just mm-hmm. a disclaimer. I'll talk about that more in the episode. But I think that's a massive problem that we're giving nine-year-olds stuff you give to people with schizophrenia. Yep. 
adults with schizophrenia. I have a problem with that. I know people in real life, not on Twitter, but in real life who gave their autistic children heavy doses mm-hmm. of stuff that's, that, that, that's made to radically alter your brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. But I'm Ryan. You said you had a story about uh, Adderall. Yeah, my senior year of college, I really needed to buckle down to make sure I passed all my five classes. I was starting to go insane. Like so every, everybody, everybody listening print. right now, everybody listening right now just said, oh, I know where this story is going. <laughs> no, for winter break, I went to a psychiatrist in, in, back in Brooklyn. I went, to, I went to his office. Well, I had an appointment. So I went to the office and I was like, hey, I, love, I like some Adderall. I can't focus. And the guy asked me a couple of questions and he's like, yeah, here's some Adderall. Go ahead. So I took it, and yes, it did help me focus. I will say that it did help. But I also want to point out that I make I was an adult in college at the time who understood the consequences. No child is going to understand what kind of stuff you're pushing down their throat. Mm-hmm. They don't get the option to choose beforehand, and that's what I think is fucked up about all this. Yeah. Also, have the as as an adult, you had the self regulation skills and the introspective ability, and the what's the fancy words for the sense where you can where you understand what's going on in your own body? It's not it's sense. not no, Stacy. It's not vestibular. That's balance. It's oh, not, the interoceptive system. Interoception. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, I, I knew it wasn't proprioception. That's what that's your body in space. So introspective ability, the introspective ability, mm-hmm. and the self-coping mechanisms that just come with getting older mm-hmm. to deal with have, being on a brain-altering drug, mm-hmm. even one that's relatively light like Adderall. How many milligrams were you on? Do you remember? I don't, but it was pretty light because it was my first time. I think it was towards the minimum of the scale they could give me. Yeah. So, but even then, like you have all those things. Children don't. No children does. No children ha- no child has that. Exactly. Because they're, they're, they're kids. They haven't had the life experience to learn these lessons. And like I said, you made an informed decision. You decided it with the kids. They're just having it forced upon them. And it's messing with their development. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to learn how to... I'm going to be make a very general statement, but it's hard to learn how to function in the quote-unquote real world if your brain's just on stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying medication should never be used in any circumstance, yada, yada, yada. I'll get to that towards the end of the episode. But we really need to think about what we're giving our kids and what the long-term impacts are. And as parents, you have to be able to look into yourself and be like, am I doing everything possible before I put this kid on this medication? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I think that's exactly, um, I mean, that's exactly what I tell my parents when they ask me about medication, because typically, um, you know, it's either school driven, the suggestion or doctor driven, right? And typically it's because parents go and the school's calling them all the time because the schools don't know what the heck they're supposed to be doing. So they're calling the parents all the time. The parents are losing their jobs. So they go to the doctor and they say, oh my gosh, my child's not. And the doctor says, here, give them Risperidol, right? And then now we have a five-year-old on an antipsychotic, which is not healthy in my opinion. I'm not an expert, but I'm a mom and I would not put antipsychotics into my five-year-old's brain because the teacher was not able to provide support to my five-year-old. So the, the dilemma is that parents are not informed um, 
number one. Secondly, um, desperation from the school and the schools are not supposed to say anything, but they do all the time and they do it in sneaky ways. Um, Parents feel pressure. And the other part is at home, um, some parents just don't have strategies in place because they don't know. And I always go back to no one is telling parents what autism is. And so they're assuming it's behavioral, it's crazy person, it's anti, you know, they're just out of control because they keep getting these calls and their children keep melting down because no one has recommended speech therapy to develop a method of communication. No one has addressed their sensory needs need to be met. So now we have a child who's really struggling because they're not set up for success. And unfortunately, this happens. Um, I am not a person who is anti-medication, but I am anti-medication for children under a certain age, because like you said, we have to provide supports. We can't just put chemicals in without even developing and building their system that they have. It's like just so like insane. It's like, how do we talk about on television promoting commercials, promoting, you know, eating healthy, healthy foods for your child, your baby, nurse, your baby, all these things about healthy. And then as soon as they get to school, let's just drug them, right? Drug them so they can sit, behavior mod them so they can sit, 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 sit. Um, And that's what it's all about. It all goes back to getting children to sit, 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 which that's what everybody wants someone to do. Sit, 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 sit. I am not saying that days are not challenging. However, like you said, Torin, it is the adults response or the responsibility of the adults to provide support, not just medicate because it's inconvenient. And I think that's what is worrisome for, for you. I would assume as someone who has been provided drugs at a very young age, you know how it feels like I have kids say it feels yucky, right? It just feels yucky. Um, it feels yucky. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, I think that parents, you know, listening, you need to educate yourself. Like this is, you need to not just take what a doctor says about your child um, just because they're the doctor. I'm not trying to say that doctors don't know anything. I'm saying a lot of doctors don't know autism and Risperidol and antipsychotics are not the answer. Um, One of the things I want to do for this episode is I want to split the meds in the three categories. These are not scientific categories. These are Mm -hmm. characterizations I've created based off the sort of least damaging and Mm -hmm. sort of easiest decision to make, Mm -hmm. ranging to the hardest and probably possibly most damaging. So first you have your stimulants, your ADD drugs. Mm -hmm. So that's your Adderall's most popular, used to be Ritalin. Mm -hmm. Uh, Concerta's another one. Um, those three essentially, mm-hmm. the, the, those help with executive give them to a lot of kids with ADD, ADHD. Now, I think it's called those are they, those are stimulants, they help with executive functioning, things like mm-hmm. memory, things like sequential thinking. So, step mm-hmm. one, step two, step three, things like organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do, they can help children with hyperactivity, not as much for adults but they can help with children who are really hyperactive because the hyperactivity often comes from just everything firing off in their brains too fast for them to sort out. It helps them sort it out. For adults, it just helps you basically be less Mm muddy-brained. Got it. These are drugs that are often abused by pretty much everybody, such as 
well, I'm not saying Ryan abused it, but it's very common in college for people mm-hmm. to get Adderall to, or mm-hmm. just buy them, like from other people who do have prescriptions. That's very common. That's how I first heard about it. Mm-hmm. If you have finals week, you pop an Addy. Um, they're, they're also used for partying because they're stimulants. If you, if you pop one, you drink with it, speak from experience, get you messed <laughs> up. Um, don't do that. Don't ever do that. Uh, the next level is sort of the mood stabilizers slash antidepressants. Mm-hmm. These are like your effects, your Wellbutrin, your Paxil, your Trileptol, your Geodon. These are things that they're SSRIs. I'm not sure if they're all SSRIs. I know most antidepressants are. Uh, I'm not bothering to look up what that stands for. It has something to do with serotonin, the uptake, and most of it's BS anyway. They basically help with depression. They help with feelings of hopelessness. They can make a child feel a bit happier, Mm -hmm. even if they don't really have a reason to be happy. Mm -hmm. That's the issue with antidepressants for everybody to begin with. They make you feel happy. It's like, there might be a reason why you're depressed. But once again, we'll get to that later. The last thing, which I think to almost never be given to a child except for extreme circumstances. Once again, I'm not a doctor or antipsychotic. So it's like things mm-hmm. like respiratory, Seroquel. Those I have the biggest problem with and those I want to concentrate on first yep. because those are used as anti-meltdown drugs. Mm-hmm. In my, both my personal and professional experience, so children I've worked with and parents I've worked with, they're used as anti-meltdown drugs. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work. It, it doesn't it, work. It does not work. In my experience, it kind of, the, the fine work, the, the fine work, I mean, it kind of does, it can lower the frequency, it can knock the edge off of the meltdown. Yes. Kind so of. My, I say it doesn't work because if you're going to provide a child with an antipsychotic, you should see no meltdowns. If you're given an antipsychotic to get rid of meltdowns, it should work to the point where it's just miraculous. If you're going to introduce something that has the side effects that it has, undevelopmental um it's a chemical lobotomy that's literally how it works no it it it, it scrambles the signals in your frontal lobe which control emotion to make it and things like like heightened emotion like fear anxiety it basically numbs that area so you have so your reactions to things that should freak you out aren't Mm -hmm. as much as it normally would be Mm -hmm. the the reason i say it kind of works is because it's used essentially as a crutch to not have to provide support for autistic kids. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, and we talk about a lot, meltdowns occur. If meltdowns are a frequent issue, you as a parent are screwing something up, the school is screwing something up, everyone is screwing up. Because meltdowns, while they will, while they, they, they don't happen spontaneously. It's impossible to end all meltdowns, it's a fantasy, mm-hmm. but they should be happening that often. If they're yeah. happening often, if they're happening like, oh, she melts down twice a week, you're screwing something up. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be blunt. You as parents are screwing something up. School's probably screwing up too. Mm-hmm. School's definitely screwing up. The, if they're so dysregulated so mm-hmm. often, because meltdowns only come from extreme states of dysregulation. It looks yes. like they come out of nowhere. They don't. You have to learn to read the signs. Mm-hmm. And your child has a different sign. That takes time and practice. You're not going to learn it overnight. What parents will do is they'll use antipsychotics. And I'm sure you've seen this too. And I've seen it too. They use them essentially to numb the sort of smaller meltdowns and smaller like tantrums mm-hmm. so they don't have to the warning signs of the bigger meltdown so they don't have to deal with it at all because they don't want to deal with the warning signs either they just want a normal kid they want the kid to act like and then when the big one happened and the big ones do still happen because no amount of antipsychotics in the world 
even with schizos, it doesn't stop the really bad episodes. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's mm-hmm. supposed to make it so you can function. If you have schizophrenia where you're hearing voices every day and mm-hmm. you're seeing shit, it's supposed to numb it to the point where you can function. Yeah. That's not supposed to be used for a meltdown. Meltdowns are cry for help. Meltdowns are form of communication. It's mm-hmm. a scream because you haven't been listening. Yeah. So the worst yep. thing you can do is try to numb that. So that's why I want to focus on that first. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. Ryan, you have anything to say about how did you get, were you on medication? Did your parents or, or school or anybody recommend medication when you were younger? No, thankfully. But I do, I do want to say this. I don't know a whole lot of scientific lingo involving all these topics, but I do know that the human brain doesn't actually stop developing until you hit 25. So when you're giving these brain altering drugs to kids who their brains are basically mush at ages mm-hmm. five to nine or whatever, the fact that people don't realize that this could actually hurt them long-term is baffling to me. Like all the parents who like claim to do all this research that they know what's best for their kids and they just listen, like, hey, take this drug. Okay, here, take this drug. It's not going to hurt you at all. It's going to make things better. Yeah, and take it this does. drug because it'll make the child stop screaming. It'll make him focus on his schoolwork. Um, it's really about, it makes it convenient for the adults. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, I'm saying this and, and those, you know, listeners and, and folks know where I'm coming from in terms of, I understand, um, the parent perspective, I understand the educator perspective, but I have never received a really good answer as to why a young child needs to go on antipsychotics, except I need them to sit in class. I need them to sit um, because I have to cook dinner. Like it's all about sitting. I mean, and I know <laughs> I'm always complaining about the sit, sit, sit because it's too much freaking sitting. Like I'm so over people making children sit. Um, Don't you want them to run around and play to get that energy out? Like, why? Oh, but you know what that requires? That requires parents to actually go outside with their children and watch them. And so then that's another inconvenience. And we, I will say I have recognized over the past three weeks, um, and it's been that recent, that parenting has changed drastically because no one lets their kids go outside freely anymore. And I understand the reasoning why. I understand the heightened sense of of danger. However, those things that are happening now have been happening when I was a child, right? When I was a child, people were kidnapping children. We just didn't have it on CNN, right? Um, There are stories about all those things. Uh, I lived in uh, Houston and purposefully purchased a house based on driving down the street. Children were riding their bikes freely without parent supervision. And I said, this is where I want to raise my foster kids, right? That I hope to adopt because that was such a great way to grow up where children get to problem solve on their own. Parents are 24 seven hovering over their children now. No one says go outside in the backyard if you have a backyard. Um, bringing your children to the park, like you said, Ryan, it's just so much easier. Everyone is handing tablets and phones and wondering why their children are struggling with everything because no one's moving their body anymore. No one's moving their body anymore. I mean, when I think of all the recess outdoor play I had growing up in elementary school, it was great. I mean, we had monkey bars. Somebody fell on the monkey bars too many times, breaking their arm. Now we have no monkey bars. It's a danger because parents sue the schools. So now children don't even have a place to regulate themselves because everyone's afraid of danger. And and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't worry about our children. I'm saying that 
the parenting style has changed drastically and it's become very detrimental. Our children have no time to problem solve on their own, no time to regulate unless parents bring them because no one is just letting them go, right? Um, So there we are in a place now where the schools are demanding 90 minutes of sitting for math, 90 minutes of sitting for reading. I've seen the schedules. It's ridiculous. And so now the children are not sitting for 90 minutes and parents are getting phone calls and they're desperate and they're not getting the right information. And antipsychotics are not the answer. Antipsychotics are antipsychotics and autism is not a psychotic disorder. So though it doesn't make sense to me to even give a child antipsychotics when they're not psychotic and I'm using air quotes. Um, Those are really strong medications. And like you said, they alter you know, and, and, you know, I try to get parents to, to, I, cause I understand they have to pay their mortgage. I get it, but I try to sort of help them understand, like, do you realize that we're not even giving your child a chance to show what they can do by supporting their needs? We're just medicating, right? Just medicating, um, with antipsychotics. Remember we're breaking it down listeners. We're not talking about all medications. We're talking about specifically right now, antipsychotics. So, and, and, Exactly. And I feel my biggest worry, and this comes from personal experience, because obviously I worry about the long-term impacts. Mm -hmm. Obviously I'm 30 years old. There's no way I could possibly work with kids from like age five to age 25 to see if it's screwed with them. Mm -hmm. Like you have that experience, Stacey. I don't. (laughs) Like I'm just not, I'm simply not old enough to have that experience. So I can only, for this, I can only go for myself. But I was on medication at the time I was eight. I started on antidepressants. My dad was on a bunch of stuff and he was a pill popper. So I started antidepressants and then moved to antipsychotics and then mood stabilizers and antipsychotics and all sorts. I've been on everything. And I noticed the mood stabilizers and antipsychotics really messed with my ability to have my own coping mechanisms when things upset me mm-hmm. because the medication sort of dampened that unless it was really, really bad. So once I went off and I went off when I got out of college, when I went into college, I finally had some autonomy. For one thing, I was 18. In America, you don't have a choice in what happens to you medically until you're 18. But once you're 18, no one can force you to take anything. So I stopped taking it when I turned 18. Well, actually, I believe my second semester of college, I stopped taking it. I sort of a protest. My dad forced me to be on medication. It's one of the many issues I've had with my dad. If you're doing a shift in that, bingo card. You can, you can check that off. Torrin talks about his shitty father. Um, and actually, Ryan, we were roommates when I went off. Remember, that's the reason I was wigging out. You remember how bad I was that semester? Oh my god, that was yeah. because I stopped taking it there, the, in between semesters because for the first semester I was still on, but that's because I went cold turkey off the I was on mood stabilizers at the time. I've been on it for like a decade. I went cold turkey, and you can tell the listeners how that semester went because Ryan was my roommate, so you, you tell them. Well, we didn't finish the semester as roommates. Okay, before we get to that, talk about what was happening from the start, pretty much from the start of the semester up to the big fight, which I think we've talked about before. Where do I even start? Was that the year you were also on Adderall and we did like that indoor soccer league? No, that was a year later. I forgot yeah. about that. We should talk about that later. That was the, that, and I had the meltdown. Uh, that, was the, that was a couple years later. But okay, so this one we were roommates. If you remember... Uh, I was having like panic attacks, like full on panic attacks every couple of days for no reason. They just come out of nowhere. I've had so much anxiety about just everything. Um, I would go from 
like really like manically happy to like uh, rage monster in like 30 seconds for no reason. Just the slightest things would piss me off. Uh, I just, I would go from rageful to anxiety to crying to manic. It was, you remember that, it was awful. And poor Ryan had to deal with a lot of stuff. Mm-mm. Now, it was worse for me because I was also drinking very heavily mm-hmm. because I was drinking in part to party and part to deal with the anxiety because I was self-medicating because I didn't have the meds. And I was on a very low dose of the meds when I went off. I'd been weaning off for years. Mm-hmm. But no matter how you wean off, once you go from that tiny dose to nothing, a lot of people have reported exactly what I went through mm-hmm. because you just if you've been on it long enough, I was on it from the time I was that particular med from the time I was 12 to the time I was 19. I had no coping skills. That was the, the time you developed. I went through puberty and all that turmoil on, on, on mood stabilizers. Uh-huh. So I, I, I didn't know how to handle anything. Yeah. And I was going through a lot. My dad had like dementia and he, he reached a new level of douchebaggery. He called me every few days to tell me how much of an asshole I was. Like, just call me just to insult me and things like that. Like I said, I was drinking heavily. So my experience is probably worse than someone else coming off it. But the reason I bring that up is because parents have your kid on one of these drugs. They're not going to be on it the rest of their life. Eventually, they're going to have to come off it. And eventually, they're going to want to come off it when they're adults. And understand that could be a tough time for them mm-hmm. because they no longer have, they, they, they never developed the skills to, if I'm upset, how do I deal with this? And as an autistic person, we struggle with that to begin with. We, mm-hmm. to survive, we need to have those coping mechanisms. We need to be able to know what being angry feels like. Because yeah. the reason I'd have these mood shifts is I didn't know when I was getting mad until mm-hmm. I was a rage monster because I didn't know what it felt like because I was on meds for 10 years. So you need to be, autistic people need to be able to learn to feel when they're feeling hungry or angry or sad, that, uh, that introspect, introspect, the introceptive ability, they need to have that. And you're not going to develop that when you're on, uh, antipsychotics or even some mood stabilizers. I wasn't on antipsychotics at the time. So that, 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 I I bring that up because to, to show that I have a bias, but I, I do think it's, it's, it's important because I know other people who've had this issue. Mm-hmm. So um, what would you say, um, either one of you, what would be your response to, and once again, we already know parents haven't been supported or maybe the child hasn't had access to, so maybe this is why, but what do you say when a parent says, but my child is extremely self-abusive, right? Like their fingers are bleeding unless they're on antiseptic. Like, I mean, I know what I say, but what you say in terms of that pushback that parents will give in terms of, well, my child is different from you, right? My child is banging their head on the wall so they have a knot on it, right? I know, I've, I've worked with... The, the first thing I would say, and what I would say is basically what you would say, so I'm just going to actually, actually tell your audience what you would say, but one thing I noticed about parents, I've interacted with a lot of parents on social media, because mm-hmm. I, I run the social media accounts for the podcast, so there are a lot of times I'm interacting with parents and other autistic people. Caregivers and parents, sometimes, not always, I don't want to talk bad about them. Their job mm-hmm. is hard, and a lot of them do an amazing job. They act like they're the only people on earth to be dealing, to have a kid who has those sort of symptoms. Like my kid bangs, bangs their head in the walls. Yeah, I know. I've worked with them too. I've worked with kids who bang their head in the wall with parents who didn't want to believe they were autistic. So they were in gen ed. 
So good luck having 30 kids and having one kid likes to bang their head in the brick walls. I, everything you've dealt with, me and Stacy have dealt with. Mm-hmm. We've all dealt with multiple times. You're not the only one. There are ways to deal with it. Mm-hmm. The situation isn't hopeless. Mm-hmm. That's why you listen to this podcast. But Stacy, what would you say? Because what I would say is just what you would say. So what would you say to those parents? Well, you know, I find that when I get calls or go in a classroom or get a new client that has a lot of difficulties in regards to behavior that can be harmful, if I trace back and asked about, you know, all there's no method of communication and no one's providing sensory regulation. I mean, I say it all the time. What are the supports in place for this person, right? I'm not saying that some folks don't have very high sensory needs. I mean, there are little two-year-olds that, you know, I'm, I know their mom's exhausted, right? Like their proprioceptive vestibular system is just so under-responsive and they're just seeking, seeking, seeking all day. Um, so I understand that it's exhausting to imagine that someone needs that much movement, but at the same time, I am such a firm believer that when children receive the support they need, you will not see that to such a high level of intensity. Um, I'm not saying that there, um, isn't a total elimination of some things that are considered self-abusive. Sometimes doing this to your head really gives you the input you need, right? And nothing else will. What we want to prevent, of course, is for kids doing it repeatedly so they have, you know, bleeding and and all this other stuff. Um, So I think it goes back to what supports do we have in place? I mean, it's like anything else. When any person, a child that either needs a hearing aid or someone who needs, I don't know, glasses, If I don't have my glasses on and I go to a training or take a class, I'm not going to be set up for success. I'm going to probably fail if I can't rely on my auditory, you know, listening to sort of pass the class because I cannot see, right? So if I don't have glasses on and I'm supposed to be taking in visual information, I'm not set up for success. I'm going to probably be really frustrated, right? Um, And that's as me as an adult, I'm saying as an adult. So I don't understand why we don't consider supporting the needs of our children in a way that we know can work for them. And yes, for some kiddos, parents and educators, it's a lot of hard work. I am in no denial that it is hard work, but it is the card we have been dealt. You have been dealt, the schools have been dealt and we need to problem solve it and be proactive. I mean, I I get it, I get it, I get it that it's a lot of work, but it is what it is. And what are we going to do? Whine about it, medicate it, or figure out what we can do to support them. So that's my little bit of what I would say in terms of what can we do instead, right? Um, And unfortunately, sometimes there needs to be pharmaceutical support just to get strategies in place because it's been years and years of the same thing because no one has ever provided their support. And, and I will, I will give, and I'll, I'll stop. I just want to, it popped in my head. I want to share with the listeners how parents do go out of their way to make sure their children get what they need, whether it's building a sensory room or making sure they have outdoor play or making sure you're running their sensory schedule of routines and making it accessible. But I have a a nonprofit that I work with and um, this mom started it and her son is an adult, autistic adult. And he 
needs lots of proprioceptive input. And apparently he gets it from bouncing and rocking on his bed, right? Like she has tried every, every other option to give him. And that is where he gets it. And he's a big six foot something um, autistic adult. She budgets to replace his bed every year because it inevitably gets broken. And she's even tried just the mattress with a board, you know, like to make it, but it's the resistance that he needs from the certain frame. So in order to make sure that he has what he needs so that he can go and do his daily tasks, she has budgeted to make sure that they just get a new bed every single year because by then it's worn out. And she would love to not have to have that in her budget, right? But that's what her son needs and she provides it. Uh, so I'm just sharing an example of, I'm not saying it's always simple, but as parents, we make decisions um, that are sometimes often inconvenient because that's really what parenting is. It's a big inconvenience followed with love. <laughs> it's, exactly. And it's just, and just with any quote unquote normal kid, you're still going to have to budget things. So it, 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 it's not as extreme as it sounds. One of the things, though, I want to get to the second category, though. Mm-hmm which is mood stabilizers, which I sort of see is sort of in between. So SSRI mood stabilizers, which is sort of like uh, Geodon, which I think is a mood stabilizer. Trileptor, which is a mood stabilizer, I know because I was on it. Uh, I was on Geodon too for a little bit. I've been on everything. Uh, Effexa, antidepressant, Wolfutrin, mm-hmm. Paxil, those groups. I've been on all of that stuff too. Um, my opinion on it is similar to the antipsychotics with the caveat of if some if a child is in a really rough situation, mm-hmm. something like that I feel is less harmful than full-on antipsychotics. Once again, I'm not a scientist, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a pharmaceuticalist, whatever the hell the word is. I feel like they're a little less harmful in emergency situations where, like for example, in my particular situation, I was in a very chaotic household. Due to no fault of my own. There was just the stuff you said about sensory stuff that just wasn't going to be there. Just yeah. was not. My father was a drug addict. He was a single yeah. father addicted to, to meth to, to meth. It was not gonna happen. In certain situations like that, something like a mood stabilizer might be necessary so the kid can function and have a chance to maybe make a better life for himself, like I did. But I still think it should be the last resort. And I, it's funny, Torin, that you said that because I was actually going to say that I typically see those medications introduced for kids who have an autistic diagnosis, but are also coming from traumatic foster homes or traumatic homes, right? And there's lots of trauma. Um, So it's some other stuff that's kind of getting in the way and making a little bit mucky, but I don't see, I haven't seen, I'm not saying that doesn't exist, but I haven't seen a lot of kids on that sort of middle level of meds. Um, I usually see like a lot of ADHD meds and a lot of Risperidol. And- I, I actually have in, in my time in working, working yeah. with ch- both professionally, so working mm-hmm. with children. And I see a lot of that. Uh, I was in special ed for a long time, mm-hmm. check off the bingo card. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the children there were on everything. Yeah, and I, I, I saw a lot of the middle as well as the, yeah. The ends of the spectrum. I actually think, um, and like I said, this is not research based, but based on my sort of experience, I do find that common prescriptions are also related to geographical areas, right? Like 
doctors in Texas tend to give these medications all the time. Doctors in Louisiana tend to give these medications all the time. Um, so maybe New York has a lot of doctors that, um, that give that medication. I'm not saying kids. Yeah, wait. no, that's true. Yeah. New York City in particular uh, affects a as I don't see as much anymore. When I was coming, when I was growing up, Effexa was very popular. Forbutrin was very popular. It kind of still is from what I've seen. Um, back then it was Ritalin. Ritalin was sort of the main one. When I was in high school, when I was in middle school, high school, Ritalin was the main one. And Seroquel, which is still used, was very popular yes. back then. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna make a statement that I used to say, and before I knew, um, we're always learning. And so I would love for Ryan to give me some pushback or something on this. I used to say, cause I wanna, I wanna pick your brain, Ryan, in terms of like perspective on adults, right? Like choosing for medication to, to do their daily activities. What I used to tell parents is you don't wanna introduce those kind of strong medications because when your child becomes pubescent or young adult, they may need a little pharmaceutical support to get through that developmental stage. And then because you've introduced all of these adult medications, nothing will work when they really needed it um, because they've just been drugged for since they were no five. Put them on more stuff. That's they do. It's like yeah, add another medication, yeah. double the dose. I was on, when I was eight years old, I was on the max adult dose of effects mm -hmm. and antidepressant. Mm -hmm. So you just add more stuff to it. That's the problem. And so they're, they're, like, they'll put kids on five different medications. They don't give a shit. I know, I know. So Ryan, when you when you hear me say that that was the advice I used to give, um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of teens and young adults? Because it's a tumultuous time for most folks when you're a teen and adult, but um, lots of stuff going on. But what's your insight on that? Hmm. <laughs> I love when people call well, you. Ryan didn't hit puberty until he was 22. So that's a joke. That's that I'm joking. Well, I was a late bloomer in puberty for sure. But Story you, of my life, honestly. Do you know, do you know adult friends who are autistic who've chosen to take medications and you've either had concerns or you're like, you know what? You're an adult. I understand. No, honestly, I, I, I don't. I, I'm sitting right here. You don't count. <laughs> you're the host. <laughs> she said adult for autistic friends. <laughs> I think, go ahead. Oh, besides Torin, I don't. Got it. But I always, I still have to believe that if you are a illegal consenting adult, mm -hmm. if you you if you do the research and you feel comfortable, it's your choice. Mm -hmm. I cool. never feel like that choice should be forced on anyone, especially yeah. when they can't understand the consequences or the side effects of what's being put in them. Yeah. yeah. Ryan, what are some of the struggles you had during puberty? Because a lot of autistics tend to have similar struggles. Um, difficulty focusing. If it was a subject matter I was not instantly good at, like math, mm -hmm. I just checked out. I could not get myself to want to do it, to want to get better. I only passed my pre-cal class when I had to do it to avoid being held back a semester. You know, it's so funny that you say that, Ryan, because I was just explaining that one of the things that I think I always appreciate um, uh, in regards to my autistic students is just the honesty and forthrightness of, I'm just not interested, right? And so when I think about that, I'm like, 
You know, I think more of us should just do that. Now, I will say I'm probably one of those people that does do that a lot. However, I, I always look at it as our, our kids really do start advocating for themselves very early. Just no one wants to accept it, right? Because they want, you yeah. know, well, we, we have to do math. It's like, and that's where one day in my dream world, right? I would love for the education system to be where you literally can go. Like if you're really good with numbers and letters, you get to do that and you don't have to worry about the other stuff, right? Like seriously, like we just need to start getting folks to do what really works for them. And then everybody can be whatever they want to be. There's a college that you get to make your own major. I did not know that. My best friend's daughter. And I said, what's her major? She says, oh, they create their own major. I'm like, how we do you do that? Do, we, we have to, we have, uh, <clears throat> I don't want to reveal it yet, but our, the, I think the last interview we did, and excuse me for clearing my throat on the mic. The last interview we did, I believe, I don't want to reveal it yet. She chose, she went to a college in Mississippi, if you remember, and she chose her own major. She created her own major. So those, those are pretty common. I agree. I wish we did live in a world where you could focus on what you were good at. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and that's not like a, 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 like I often put my political opinions here. That's not necessarily a political opinion because that would be better just for everybody. We have people who are actually competent doing things that we're good at. Um, what I want to go move on to now is sort of the third level, mm-hmm. and that's uh, ADD drugs. I don't have an official name for it, but stims essentially. So Adderall, Concerta, Vyvanse. Yeah, those are sort of the reason I put them in, in the third and the like light category, quote unquote, is I feel like they have the least effect. I've been on and off them for the last ten years. I don't think they have as much of an effect in terms of long term the damage. I feel like they can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. They can help children who are very hyperactive be able to sort things out and focus. Mm-hmm. They can be helpful for executive functioning. I'm just disclaimer, I'm currently on Adderall mm-hmm. and I started taking it about two, three weeks ago in that ballpark and it's been close to life changing mm-hmm. in terms of my executive functioning, in terms of my ability to remember things and to deal with changes in schedule and things like I just had change in schedule happen. During this recording, something someone that someone I was supposed to do something with got stripped of, and be able to reorganize my day and things mm-hmm. like that, and it can help a lot of children. A lot of the kids I went to special ed with were on it, and and you could tell days they were on it versus days they weren't. It, it was drastic. However, I feel like once again we often use it as a band aid for for lack of supports mm-hmm. or to be blunt, the topic matter being just not very interesting. Yeah. It's like, who the hell, like Ryan mentioned pre-calc. That was, you weren't, yeah. you weren't out of all pre-calc. That was like freshman year, right? You were in pre-calc? My third time around I was, cause I, it, it is I needed- How many times did you take pre-calc? <laughs> Three. Jesus Christ. I can't I say, you, I'm a college dropout, so I can't say math. shit. It's hard to give a shit about math. Like it's not it, easy. It just is, it's boring as hell. People don't realize that it it doesn't work for some people and And, they don't want to teach you like you're an expert. And and here's the problem with, here's the problem with math and Mm -hmm. actually really here's the problem with math, especially when you get to the collegiate level, most people suck at math and find it boring. Most people suck at math and the vast majority of people find it boring. So there's only a small select group of people who like math so much that they'll actually teach it. And all of these people are autistic. So I am Stacy Badon, and I am a person that enjoyed math class because it was really easy for me. <laughs> so enjoy it enough to teach it. 
So all but of these college, now, yeah, all, of, all of these college professors, almost all of them are on the spectrum. They're undiagnosed. They're on the spectrum. I'm not even making a joke right now. They well, clearly I was, are. Yeah. And I'm married result, to and, a math uh, geek. I'm married yeah. to a math geek. Yeah. <laughs> and the problem is be, because math has always been easy for them because it was their mm. special interest numbers. Of course. The same, you get the same yeah. issue in engineering. Yeah. They actually suck at teaching it because they can't put themselves in the shoes of someone who sucks at it. Yes, exactly. That's a and really good And to be a good point. teacher, you have to be able to understand what it's like to not be good at it. We actually had that problem in high school, too. Like, our math teacher was from Morocco, and this dude was, like, definitely autistic. That's the funny thing about where we went, to, where our high school, it's a bunch of the teachers were clearly neurodivergent as well. Mm-hmm. Like, our, oh, we had two math teachers. One of them was autistic, and the other one had such heavy ADHD that he would just ran, he would be talking and randomly trail off mid sentence. He'd be like, This is why you divide the cosine. That's a really nice boat outside. So, our school was on a river. That mm-hmm. was on the river. That's a really nice boat outside. You remember him, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, that, that made it easy to focus. Yeah, because he would trail off. So, it, it would take like three days to get to one to get to a topic we should have gotten in one class. So I don't mean to trail off, but that, that's an issue with math is that mm-hmm. it's a, and, and engineering and the hard sciences. There's a lot yeah. of undiagnosed autistics, which is worse because they don't know they're autistic. So they can't like adjust their style. They just don't understand. They can't comprehend how you can suck at that subject. Yeah. So I will say, um, and I think that's a really good point in terms of things are just not interesting, right? Um, and unfortunately, our education system has become even less interesting uh, these days. But from an educator standpoint, I have always looked at the introduction of ADHD meds from the perspective of we're, we're, we're allowing them to move their bodies, right? We have these supports in place. They're still struggling with executing, getting a task completed. Um, unfortunately, that means they're constantly getting tagged, right, in trouble or that stupid behavior, red light, green light crap, right? So my concern has always been when I talk to parents that if you look at the, the side effects of medication, right, because they always say, well, what about the side effects of giving them ADHD meds? And so we go through a little bit of that. And I'm like, well, I understand. However, the side effect, the long-term side effect of a child being punished and in trouble all the time because they can't execute um, a task or because of you know, their ADHD, that takes a toll on children. If you're constantly in trouble and you know it's not your fault, because they know it's not their fault. The children, the children are very aware. I didn't really mean to pull her ponytail, right? I just did it, it just happened. Like I just like impulsively. And I have several friends that I've had to have this conversation with. And I will never forget one of my friends who was just adamant about, I just don't want to put him on meds. And this was second grade, right? And so then we get to third grade and he is just defeated. And he is just, and at this point, the, you know, he's like, screw it. I'm just going to cut up, right? Because I can't do it anyway. So now I'm just going to be the behavior problem um, because that's what people keep saying that I am. And finally she introduced medication um, and it was a game changer for him for fourth grade. Um, Unfortunately, he had quite an ass of a dad who took his medication and threw it down the toilet. Um, That's messed up. Yeah, very messed up. Uh, So what's interesting is he just graduated high school. He on his own, um, the first year of high school decided he was going to attempt to do high school without 
his pharmaceutical support and didn't go very well. So he asked his mom to, you know, I want to get back on my meds. And now he's going to college in the fall and he has advocated for himself and said, I would like to start with my meds because I don't want to mess up when I'm away my first semester. And then I'll let you know if I want to play around with doing something different. That, that's and, exactly what I did with yeah. my meds. Well, yeah. the first semester, which I was going away from home, I stuck on my meds. Mm -hmm. And then I decided I didn't want to be on them anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, like I said earlier, I also add the caveat that I became an alcoholic during that time. So I, I don't suggest that. In fact, I stopped taking the meds because you're not supposed to take psychoactive drugs while you're drinking. I really what? want to you're Come not on, supposed Warren, to be, that's fun. No, 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 it's it's not. It, it, no, fun is Adderall and booze. That that the, the, the automatic blackout. But um, especially if you snort it. But um, I've never done that, but I have a friend that did. Gonna say people snort Adderall? Yeah, I have a friend that, that did Thought that. I live in a bubble. Yeah. <laughs> the point the point is I stopped taking the meds I want to drink more. Yeah. But that that's the general idea is I suggest big life changes not to come mm -hmm. off it, things like that. Um, but Ryan, why did you come off at it all? Because you mentioned about your experiences, but what made you decide to come off it? I just didn't think I needed it anymore. By this point, I'd already graduated and I just didn't see a need for it in my regular life anymore. I think it also helped that I wasn't drinking and I wasn't on like a very strong dose, so it was easier to come off. Yeah, Ryan was one of those people we go to a party and I'd be an entire bottle of smearing off deep and I'd be like, yo, you gotta drink more. He'd be one of those people, the Puritans. I don't put that poison in my body. Like one of those people who needs to let everybody know I'm 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 breaking your balls, Ryan. He's a well that's okay because he's the designated driver. It's great. He oh, can't he drive though. Anymore. So there's no point. Like he's a, he was the designated <laughs> oh, driver because no! he drives. So basically he was the sober guy in a group of alcoholics. Oh, buzz, my otherwise God. known as the buzzkill. Will say, have any of you ever worked with an adult that was ADHD and needed pharmaceutical support and did not? And they like it was just overwhelming for you. Um, have you guys ever had that experience? Or is it just me? I feel like I had some friends in high school who could have used that stuff. I had a, uh, I did some work for a uh, mutual friend of ours who I suspect could use that. Mm -hmm. I had a principal and I swear one day I said, we need to have a talk. And he was like, I said, you're brilliant. Um, love the effort you're putting in. If you don't get on medication, I'm going to have to take something because you're driving me crazy. He was this brilliant idea person, but like impulsively about it, right? So like you're in your office working and then all of a sudden, hey, somebody's sitting on your desk with a laptop. I got an idea. We got to meet. We got to meet. I'm like, okay, I'm like using, my, I'm, I'm following my visual schedule. <laughs> I don't have this in the visual schedule. Like I'm like you turn. I, I mean, in terms of I, I need time to adjust when there's a- that, That's me pain. when I'm on Adderall. I'm like that. <laughs> like, that's like, I'll just randomly hit you up. I have a fucking idea. Oh my gosh. When I'm off Adderall, I'm just like canatonic. Like I'm, I basically, so I'm, I, I basically eat, like use the bathroom and grunt. That's basically oh all I'm good for. Except for that time we were playing soccer and this guy took so much Adderall, his eyes were bouncing out of his skull. I took two, I took two Addies. Okay, here was my idea. What happened was, <laughs> so we were playing indoor soccer and my asshole teammates decided, let's make Torin the goalie. And I was feeling very subconscious. I put on a lot of weight. 
and I played soccer in college. I wasn't very in high school. I wasn't very good, but like it requires I, a lot of hand-eye coordination, yeah. which neither of I, us. I had worked very hard to to in high school, and I'd sort of let myself go. This is year three of alcoholism slash college. Because as I mentioned on the podcast, our college was a drinking campus with a college problem. <laughs> anyway, so this was year three of alcoholism. I'd gotten morbidly obese. Uh, I never had great hand-eye coordination to begin with, but it was non-existent. So I was feeling kind of self-conscious about this. They want to put me in goal where you need the where you need to be the most athletic. Yes. So I was like, I okay, I don't, I, I don't want to make an ass of myself. So what I'm going to do is mm-hmm. I'm going to take like triple my normal because I, I had an Adderall prescription at the time, which was helping with the academics. I'm going to take triple my normal dose. That way I'll be thinking so quickly. That my my idea was like the shelling gun from Naruto, except I didn't watch the episode when he, when Sasuke meets Brock Lee. Ah, uh-uh. no Brock Lee. I didn't watch oh. that episode. If you anybody watched that episode, you know where the story's going. Just because you can think quicker and process things quicker doesn't make for, up for the fact that your body just isn't fast enough to keep up with stuff. All that did was cause massive sensory overload. Oh wow! Because the lights and the sound and our defense sucked, so we so like they were just launching balls on goal because our team sucked. So it was like the ball coming at you at seventy miles per hour, probably more because it's indoors. It's not wind resistance, but it's a gymnasium, so it's, there's a lot of harsh fluorescent lights and it echoes. And long story short, I had a complete meltdown. Mm-mm. Like I had the worst meltdown in my life. Like the type of autistic meltdown where you can't talk. Mm-hmm. So first, my eyes started, I think I told the story, my eyes started flickering so rapidly I couldn't see, but mm-hmm. I lost the ability to talk, so I couldn't tell people that it was happening, so no one mm-hmm. noticed it was happening, and I just started just screaming, like, that, like, autistic screeching. Oh, gosh. Like, it was bad. It took me, like, 45 minutes to be able to talk again. I started, like, flailing. It was awful. It was, like, stuff you see in the videos, the this is autism videos. Like, I look like one of those people. It was, yeah. so I'm like, yeah, I went off the Adderall after that, because that, that frightened me. But, yeah. um... Yeah, that was meltdowns. Th- are those are the side effects that for, yeah. for autistic people of things like stims, stims make you more perceptive, mm-hmm. but then the old, the sensory overload can become heavier. So you have to be good at buffering that. I'm so glad you said that because, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I noticed based on lived experience. And one of the things I do tell um, in Australia, the go to meds, there's like, I don't know, only two or three meds that they actually allow in Australia. And so Ritalin is the go-to. Everybody gets Ritalin. Everybody gets Ritalin. I have found that Ritalin makes our kiddos very, very agitated. And it makes sense. If you say that it makes your sensory system more heightened, that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, that's all. That's what Why? stimulants do. All stimulants do that. They make you're more perceptive. So your, your intake of information is higher. That's mm-hmm. why it helps you focus and study yeah. and get, and you can pull all nighters and shit because you can just intake more stuff. Yeah. But if you're already sensitive, things like sound, light, things like that, smells, you're intaking more of it. Like well, I'm that's on, why I put on headphones and I play music. So I wouldn't exactly. hear that's why most sounds, autistic, that's why a lot of autistic people do that. When you're on stimulants, it can be harder because it's coming in harder, it can be harder to buffer that and mm-hmm. lead to anxiety and increased meltdowns. Like I'm on it right now because I'm 30 years old and I have in my opinion, above average regulation skills compared to most mm-hmm. autistic people. I'm mm-hmm. very aware of myself. Mm-hmm. So I know I'm being overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Children don't. Autistic children don't because they're kids. Mm-hmm. So that's a side effect. And I'm glad you brought that up because that is a side effect of the stimulants of mm-hmm. what I call the light category. Mm-hmm. 
is they can cause increased meltdowns along with being able to focus. Yeah, I actually um, am not a huge advocate of putting um, my autistic students on ADHD meds um, and until we have really, really, really worked on their sensory system in terms of making sure they have what they need. Because I find that a lot of times if they're put on ADHD meds and we're, it masks the whole, so then we're never addressing the sensory system, right? We're just sort of like uh, making them sit. And so I find that also a lot of kids are diagnosed ADHD because it's really just sensory dysregulation and the doctors don't really know what that is. So they'll say, oh, they're ADHD and autistic. And when I see that on paper, I'm like, mm. I never thought of that. So a lot of autistic people say they're ADHD, including me. And I never thought of that, that a lot of that could just be sensory dysregulation. Especially with little children, especially children. I mean, PSA to all those out there. If anybody tries to diagnose your three-year-old, four-year-old as ADHD, you need to run. You should not be diagnosing children that late, AD, I mean, that early with ADHD. I mean, it's just, I just, it just infuriates me. I'm not a doctor, but they are three and four-year-olds. They are not supposed to be sitting and attending to something for 20, 30 minutes. Like some kids like to explore different things more than others. And they're children. Like Ryan said, they should be running. I mean, that's what, if you look at any culture where kids are just kind of hanging out, like whether it's, you know, you live on a farm or I don't know, wherever. Kids are just digging in the dirt and making up stuff and occupying their time because that's what children do. They problem solve. I know, they're just not allowed to do that anymore. That's what they're doing in the hood. Like in the hood, the parents will send them out to like that courtyard behind. I don't know, do they have like projects in the South? I've never been in the South. Yeah, we do. They're everywhere. So you know how like the projects will have like, it will be a series of tall ass buildings. Mm-hmm. And they'll have like a cart courtyard that interconnects them. And that's where like everyone does like crack at. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the kids play and like yep. the broken crack files and yep. the, the, the little bottles of liquor and the heroin needles Jesus. and stuff like that. Yeah, they have them everywhere, apparently. And so in even in New York City, what parents will do is they'll send their kids out to go play in the courtyard. And they'll just look at them from out the window. Yep. From like the 20th story window. They'll just look at them out the window and be like, yeah, they look fine. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, if something happens to them, you ain't doing, you're on the 20th floor. You ain't going to be able to do jack shit about it unless you learn how to fly. Yeah. But <laughs> that's what they do. They go out, they play, they play with the other kids, they interact with the crackheads. They're walking around, they're just sort of wandering around like zombies in a video game. Mm-hmm. And you, they, they, they get the kids. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say in regards to the ADHD meds, um, you know, because I, I do understand that there are certain circumstances where it's just really necessary for school age kiddos in terms of just being able to navigate the day, even when they're in an environment that is supporting their needs, because there are, you know, if you have a really great teacher, right, and your teacher does a great job of supporting your needs, and you could probably get what you needed without, and they're very flexible, the issue is that that teacher doesn't get to dictate the entire day schedule, right? She doesn't get to dictate when they go to lunch, right? Or where they sit in the cafeteria. So sometimes there are circumstances that we don't get to always make accommodating for lack of a better word. Um, so it does help kids to be able to get their tasks done in school. And um, I just don't like when kids 
I just don't like kids to get in trouble when I know it's not, it's not like they're purposefully standing. And I really just don't understand why people need children to sit. I mean, I just don't understand the city. It, it really makes classroom easier to manage. That's off the top of my head. That's, that's the answer I'm thinking of. It makes classroom easier to manage. If they're not, if they're running around, it reflects badly on you. But they, but you can allow them to run around with structure. That's where I guess I come from. Like if you're proactively planning, um, like I had a square a piece of tape, colored tape, and I made like a rectangle, a long rectangle. So my kiddo who needed to move his body and needed to pace, that's where he could pace. So I structured a spot in the classroom because he learned better when he was moving. So that's a brilliant, I, that's a brilliant idea. I gave him the like, area. It, yeah, it, so it, they're it, not, it gives, exactly, they're teach, not running. You, you should like teach like teachers how to be like flexible. But that's a topic for another day. Before yes. we go, mm-hmm. what would you say to, because I can always hear, but there's something broken in my brain that makes it so I always hear like the devil's advocate, or I always hear like, for example, uh, the company, one of the companies I work for, Free Studios, issued a statement about the recent uh, abortion decision. And all I could, it was a great statement. All I could hear in the statement was what like Fox News and Newsmax would be saying about it. Like there's something wrong with my brain. So all I can hear right now is all the like, people on Twitter who are screaming about, oh, medication saved my life and medication's good and, you should, and you're, you're, you're building a stigma around medication and that's ableist. What do you say to those assholes? I say that we're not building a stigma. We are trying to protect the autistic community in regards to children who don't have a choice. But more importantly, I think what I would like for listeners to get from this is Take the time to figure out what you can do first, research the medication and um, know that you have an option to say no if it makes you feel yucky. Because I do have a lot of parents that do end up feeling pressured to put their children on medication and that's not what they do want, but they feel pressured. So, um, you know, know that you have a right to, to say to your child's doctor, we're not going to do that. And, um, but I also understand and want to say that, you know, families have to make decisions that are best for their family. And I do understand that some people are in circumstances where they can't continuously leave work. I mean, I get it. It's very daunting when schools keep calling parents, even though legally they're not supposed to call you to pick up your child because they're not sitting or they're not paying attention or they had a meltdown, come pick them up. Illegal, illegal, illegal. Um, so. Well, wait, it's illegal? Wait, wait, hold up. It's illegal to tell to call parents to tell their kids to pick their kid up, they had a meltdown? It is illegal if a child is under and it is illegal in the sense of it is going against providing what is on their IEP. So if your IEP says- People do it, schools do that shit all the time. All though. the time, all like the time. Like so much that I didn't know it was illegal. The one thing I will say to parents, I understand you're going to be under a lot of pressure, especially if your kid is struggling with quote unquote behavioral issues. What you want to do, a, a quick story, because there's a certain sound you want to hear. There's a certain sound you want to hear. When I was, when me and Ryan were in college, it was actually back when we were roommates, like we mentioned. Uh, we walked out of our dorm. We were both going to the dining hall. We walked past the communal area and there was a woman sitting there. And the woman, it was Olivia. And it was the first time he met, he met his girlfriend. And I heard a sound that sounded like, you know, when you're bowling and the ball first drops on the floor and starts rolling. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell was that? Turns out that was Ryan's balls dropping. <laughs> That's the sound you need to hear when someone tries to press, put pressure on you, put your kid and 
on Medicaid. Your balls need to drop and you need to say, no, that's not for my kids. You want to hear that boom sound. If you don't hear the boom sound, that's a problem. <laughs> and you Stack know what I and stand And advocate for your children. You cut out again, Stacy. <laughs> oh boy. So Ryan, what are your thoughts on this while Stacy figures out her stuff? Well, I will say one, these people need to learn what ableism actually means before they throw it around like candy on Halloween. <laughs> well, it's just like second how no one knows what racism means. And second of all, you cannot, these people are trying to use their own experience to define everyone, which is wrong. Mm -hmm. Like everyone's different. Everyone's an individual. And you shouldn't be okay with medicating children just because it worked for you as an adult. That's a really good point. Um, what I was saying before my mic gave me issues um, is that I hope the listeners and especially parents can understand why you're biased about it because your experience and, and parents don't get to hear that because their kids are not old enough to tell them the stories, right? Um, that's why a lot of teens will choose not to take their meds when they you know, get 14, they push back on taking meds because they were not able to say when they were six or seven, it really made me feel yucky, right? Um, I've had kids say, I don't like it because I can't draw anymore, right? Um, it takes away my creative. And, and you have to consider that whole child um, and, and the long-term impact of that. Uh, and do your research. Don't medicate early. ADHD meds are sometimes necessary, but proceed with caution, of course. And I just really want to reiterate um, young children, um, especially kids under the age of six really should not have medications introduced. I mean, they're still developing their brain. It's just like, there's no, yeah, it's, the, I mean, they're, the, the, they're nerve the, synapses. Yeah. The, the thing is you said, do your research, but I feel like I should mention where, because it can be so hard to find accurate information on topics like this. Yes. Because yes. there's, there's two extremes. So there's the medication should not be used under any circumstances for anybody. There's a lot mm -hmm. of those people on YouTube. And there's also the other side, which is that you should have no stigma. Just, to just lay rain pills. Like pop them, them bad boys like a Pez dispenser. Who cares? And if you point out anything wrong with that, that's ableism. And well, those are the ones that get views. So those are yeah. stuff that if you Google something or you go on mm -hmm. YouTube, those videos and those articles are gonna come up first. Yeah, um, I tell parents the best research is talk to other parents. And of course, if you have access to, you know, autistic individuals, that's always great. Um, but ask other parents, you know, like, hey, did you find a doctor that worked with you? Or, hey, did your child, you know, um, take this medication? What did you find? Because parents will be honest about the stuff that happened um, to their kiddos. I have so many parents that, after the first meeting and they, they're like, oh, I'm not going to give him the meds anymore. And I'm, and, and the sad, not sad, the, the disheartening part for me is the parents are seeing that it's causing these ill effects. Right. But because the doctor and the school keep pushing it, it's really hard to stand up to some of the professionals and not every parent has the same stamina. 
And um, a lot of times I have to even give them the words to say, like, write this down and say this to the doctor or tell this to the school because they're like, Miss Stacy, my kid comes home like angry, right? Or they're not sleeping now. You know, that's not what we want um, just to sit in school. So I think that, you know, it's hard for parents to, to advocate. I'm not saying that I'm not giving an excuse. You know how I feel about, you need to do what you need to do. I have two boys. I have a son right now who is 23. Today is his birthday and he needs me. He's needed me before. And so I've shifted my life because he needs me, right? That's what we do for our children. And, um, well, that's what I do for my children. And that's my expectation, um, for parents. And maybe it's my expectation because my parents supported me, right. In terms of making sure that if I needed something that it was available. So, um, I just want parents to know they have a right to say no, Um, They should tread very carefully on introducing medications and consider what's really going on and ask yourself, does my child have a method of communication? Am I addressing their sensory needs? And look at those things first. And that's my closing argument. And Stacey Ryan, that's why we are working to... Shift the narrative on everything autism. We have to shift the narrative. So folks, please share the podcast. You know, those of you who are listening, we appreciate you listening. Um, we need to share the link. In fact, let's let's do like forced meds. Let's force people who are not understanding autism to listen, right? Listen, listen, listen. Like that grandmother, that relative. Exactly. Share, um, exactly. share it with yeah. grandmother, relatives, friends, people who don't really understand autism. Mm-hmm. Share it on your Facebook. Share it on your Twitter. Share it on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Take a screenshot. Share it on Instagram. Get the word out because yeah. we're, we're fighting uphill against a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot yeah. of bad information from people who give quick answers to things, quick solutions, and who are frankly grifters. Yeah. We need to fight against that. I just Stacy sent me a, a video of someone saying that water can solve meltdowns. And I had to watch it three times. At first, I'm like, this is a parody. This is like this is like the Lipschitz parody we do. I was upset because I'm like, shit, I should have thought of this. Then I thought for the third time, I'm like, oh, this woman is being serious. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. Nobody you guys. that worth by now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And- I'm going to end with something corny and say, you have to share the link, please, listeners, because we really cannot shift the narrative without your help. We have to get this out to people who need a shift in their narrative. So just keep that in mind. And don't forget to comment and subscribe. It helps with the algorithm. That itself helps helps, uh, get the word out. All right. See ya. Hey guys, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, find us on Twitter at Shifting Autism. You can follow Stacy on Twitter at Autism Sage and Instagram at Everything Autism. Follow me on Twitter at TK underscore Aspie, on Instagram at Autistic underscore Author, and on Facebook at The Autistic Author. Thanks for listening.